Well, Raquel, here we are again with NBS Cast. Here we go. Yep, another podcast, another week. And we say this every time, but we had some great guests this time around, and we truly got a different perspective because our two main guests were David Heffernan and Alan Smith, both from Nelnet International, located there in Australia. Yeah, they're located in Australia, and I can't wait to hear what they have to say. Me neither. So let's let them talk. Let's go. Okay, so Rachel, we're back again. Yes, we are. And today we're talking to two of our associates who are in Australia. Yes, this is a new one for us. Yep, talking to them in the future because it's tomorrow there and we're still on today here. It's a little weird. It's the magic of uh, the internet and the international dateline. (laughs) (laughs) So we have David Heffernan and Alan Smith with us. So thank you guys for joining us. We're going to start with introductions so people can get to know a little bit about you both. So if you could tell us, we've already said it, but your name, your title, and how long you've been with Nelnet International. David, we'll have you start with this one. Thanks. Rachel. I'm the Managing Director of Nelnet International and I've been with the uh, business for 17 years, not quite as long as Alan. Thank you. And Alan, how about you? Yeah, Rachel, I've been a Director of Operations at the company. Started the company over 30 years ago, so I was one of the founding directors there. So my name's Alan Smith and happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you here. 30 years. Wow, that's a, a pretty long career. Congratulations on that. Yeah, some would say I'm lazy to get out of the company, but uh, I'm loving it. (laughs) So, Alan, uh, what part of Australia are you located in? We live in a place called Melbourne, um, which is the the second biggest city in Australia. I live in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. When you look at a map of Australia, we're at the southeast corner of that, just above Tasmania. That's a fun place to be. And we have to say that right, Melbourne, not Melbourne. (laughs) Exactly. You have to pronounce it Melbourne. You cannot say Melbourne. Got it. (laughs) Did not know that. And David, how about you? Are you in about the same area? Uh, So Alan and I probably live in different directions to the office. So I live down the coast. So I'm in a coastal town called Mount Martha, uh, which is very close to the Mornington Peninsula Winery region. At our back door here, we've got beautiful beaches. They're unfortunately closed at the moment, COVID, and the wineries. So I've got about 50 wineries at my back door. Alan also lives, he didn't tell you, but he also lives in a wine region, which is the Arrow Valley Winery. Two beautiful areas of Melbourne. Wineries are pretty big in Australia. I feel like wineries are getting bigger here too in the United States. It's not just California anymore. I would agree. It sounds like a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, especially now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we don't get snow and it gets very hot in summer. Sign me up. So speaking of COVID, we would like to know how drastically has COVID-19 affected your respective areas? Alan, why don't you start with this one? Yeah, across Australia, we've been affected quite a lot at the early stage, but we're quite lucky in that government sort of closed our borders quite quickly. Back on March 15, actually, David and I just got back from a holiday in New Zealand. And two days after that, they put everyone into quarantine who arrived back in Australia. If you arrive into the country from March 15, you have to isolate for 14 days, very similar to the isolations that they've put across the world. But I think we got in very quickly before we we were attacked. So I I feel lucky that our government did that now. I didn't understand it at the time, but we've now got compulsory isolation for people arriving. They have to go to hotel rooms. If they come in from a ship or or an aeroplane, they're locked into their hotel room. We're only allowed to go out now for exercise, to go shopping, to the doctors or for education. It's actually been an interesting 
episode in our lives. Obviously, the whole world is affected by it, but we've been able to flatten that curve that everyone talks about, whereas the number of deaths and people affected has been skyrocketing all around the place. Ours are starting to slow, which is a really good sign. David, do you want to add any more to that? I think that covers it pretty well. I mentioned before we have lovely wineries and beaches here, but they're all closed. Our government put us into lockdown very early, uh, and as Alan said, we can only really go out for essential service work. It's pretty limited in what you can do, but they've been extremely good at flattening the curve. So I think in the next couple of weeks, they'll be starting to discuss strategies about how we come out of this. Yeah, there's no sport. You know, even if we go out for exercise, it's only a maximum of two people. It's either you or a friend or your family, but there's maximum of two people outside at any time. Oh, maximum of two. That's a little different from us over here. You can uh, have your family go out. So it could be, you know, two parents and three kids. But if you're just out with one other person, then that's what you're allowed to do right now. Is that all across Australia or is that just in your specific area? It's mostly the whole of Australia. Each state does have their own rules, but they're following the federal government rules as well. States will add extra things on, but most of the country is following that rule now. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty similar here too. We've got the CDC guidelines that we're following as a country, but each state might have their own individual spin or additional rules or regulations that they have surrounding what we should and shouldn't be doing right now. Correct. Yeah, we're under guidelines where most of the states are under mandate. I think we're a little bit more free to roam in Nebraska, but other states are mandated to stay home. Yeah, that's very similar. Um, We are what they call state of emergency, which means that the police can actually fine you if you are out breaking those rules. It's, Mm. It's not just a guidance, it's actually a law. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's a little different for us here. I don't know about every state, but I know now in Illinois, and I'm assuming Nebraska as well, you're not necessarily going to get fined, but you might get asked what you're doing or where you're going. We get a $1,600 fine here. And it may, the measures may seem really strict, but I think Alan would agree. We're down to 40 cases per day nationally in a population of close to 30 million. Yeah, it's really working. And I think even in the state that we live in, Melbourne is, you know, the second largest city in Australia and comparable to a lot of the big cities in the US. And I think we're down to eight cases yesterday. So it's working. That is really good news. So David, is there anything that you are doing differently as a result of all of this? And, and how has your work changed? Ooh, I have my whole family at home. So <laughs> from a work perspective, we actually had a call yesterday with the whole team about remote working. And I've always probably worked a, a bit more remote than what Alan has, do a lot more traveling, those type of things. But when I'm working at home, I'm used to working at home by myself. I actually have my two children at home who are being homeschooled at the moment because term two just started over here, completely remote. The kids are out of the school environment for the next two months. And my wife is a school teacher as well. So she's at home teaching as well. That's the biggest change for me, having everybody in my working environment from a family perspective. From a work perspective, our work probably was 50% remote for most people, but now 100% remote. That's probably been the biggest change because the actual offices are closed. And Alan, same story for you or is anything a little bit different? Yeah, no, it's the same story. I think everyone's locked into that uh, that same work from home type feeling. I think from an office point of view, we were able to implement some excellent tools. We're, we were a little bit clairvoyant, I suppose, in that we were already implementing Microsoft Teams with the telephony option, which gave everyone that telephone type connection, not just a chat or a post. A company now has a, a version 
virtual switchboard. For me, being the operations director, it was very busy in those early few days of the lockdown to make sure that everyone had what they needed. It was a, a matter of reacting a little bit, but we were fairly well prepared in that we knew something might happen. Uh, we, we've got a, a local telco here called Telstra, which is similar to your AT&T and they partner with Microsoft to make that very easy. So I think we've been lucky in being able to um, keep everyone together, even though we're physically apart. That's wonderful. David, you kind of mentioned as far as school goes, you have two little ones at home. How old are they, by the way? Not so little, 12 and 14. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, so over here we would call that uh, grade 7 and grade 9. Okay, so in the K-12 environment and also the higher ed environment, you said in K-12 term 2 has just started. So what do schools look like? You said term 2 is going to be all at home. So what does that look like? And do you know if that's going to affect anything going past term 2? And same question about higher ed schools. Sure, the government's kind of given us a, a six-month guideline, but Everything seems to be progressing probably better than they would have thought. From school perspective, I think uh, schools are supporting their communities at the moment whilst they're focusing on how their business is going to survive. So, so we have independent schools and we have public schools and independent schools make up a large portion of those schools and they're really fee-based schools. They're struggling with their business models at the moment because the remote technologies, albeit we deal with higher education, they've got better tools for that. A lot of the schools don't have great tools for it. They're struggling with being able to charge for their fees. And my school where my children go, they started with a 2.5% discount on fees for Term 2, which pretty quickly became 30% discount. So they're really struggling with their business models at the moment and working out how they can keep teachers and how they can keep students and parents in their community happy while they get through this. So it's a very challenging time for them. Yeah. And in the higher education area, it was a little bit different. They were actually hit first with this because our higher education or universities in Australia rely a lot on the Southeast Asian and Chinese students coming over. And because China was one of the first countries hit, obviously, the Chinese students were banned from coming into Australia. They were stopped from travelling. The universities were the first ones to really say, I think we're going to have a problem here. So the government sort of helped them first until the rest of the country said, hey, we've got a bigger problem than just higher education. Mm -hmm. That was back in January. We knew that something was coming back then, um, even though we didn't know it was going to be this big. Right back at that stage, a lot of casual lecturers lost their jobs, tutors lost their jobs because there was none of those students coming over to teach. You know, Sydney University has a massive percentage of uh, international students come in. And now with our borders closed, there's no international students. And then eventually the universities just closed. As with all the other industry, the universities are doing all remote working. As David said, they're already equipped to do remote courses, but they've lost a lot of other things. You know, there's no conferences now, there's no cafes, there's no car parking, there's no sports clubs. So the income for a university has been affected dramatically. So we're not too sure what's going to happen down the track. There's been a lot of money ploughed into the economy and I think the higher education, is, as well as all these other industries, are going to need a lot of assistance to survive over the next 12 months or so. And just to support Alan in higher education there, international education is Australia's second largest export. It's certainly going to take a fairly big impact. And Alan mentioned that some of our universities have very large enrolments. Some of our largest customers have 40% international enrolments and 90% of those come from China. So there's going to be a very big impact in the education space in Australia. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, that's huge. Because our company supports those university payment systems, we've always been pushing for online. We talk about silver lining later maybe, but it's one of those things that we see there could be an opportunity for us in the long term as well. So I know here um, in Nebraska, especially if COVID-19 wasn't happening, I know lots of people would be preparing for graduation next month. It would just be after Easter. So we'd be doing a lot of gardening outside and we'd still be fighting off some winter storms that attack us during the springtime. But with you being in Australia, what would you be doing right now or what would be the norm for you? Alan, why don't you take this one first? We're just coming out of summer. We're going into what we call autumn, you call fall, getting prepared for the cold time. So we probably would be spending more time indoors a little bit later. But especially when this happened, we would be outdoors a lot. We have a lot of barbecues and going out to sport and all that sort of things. In fact, I should have been in Japan this week. I was supposed to be doing a holiday with my wife just coming back from Japan. That's one thing I would have been doing. I can't be doing. There's no traveling anymore. They uh, have stopped us going to sporting events. So I would be watching Australian Rules Football, which is my team's one of the better ones uh, at the moment. David will tell you that his team's probably going to be better this year, but you can't prove that now because we only got to play one round of football. Now we have to wait to see what happens there. So that's what I'll be doing on the weekend is going to a football match. And uh, I'll also be playing golf, which I can't do at the moment. So it's affected everything we do. David and I both love our golf. And right now we can't even go onto a fairway or hit a ball. David, what about you? Sure, Alan and I have very similar hobbies. Football and golf. I'm not sure about my team being better than Alan's team. His team's won effectively two Super Bowls in the last three years. And I was trying to be kind there, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easter was a very unusual period for us. So normally Easter would be with our family, going down to Inverloch, which is a small coastal town as well. But obviously we spent four days at home. So having to entertain ourselves at home, uh, we did lots of uh, Zoom calls with our families and things like that. So that's become pretty popular. Friday night drinks with families and things like that. It's it's been a bit of a little welcome break because we would have been really busy. My kids play sport every single night of the week. And whether you're coaching or helping with training, doing sport on a weekend, uh, we're pretty much six out of seven days doing something after school every single night. So we've actually sat down at the dinner table together pretty much every night for the last three, four weeks, which that's something we haven't done as a family for a long time because we're always grabbing food on the run. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we have been home too. If it wasn't for COVID-19, we would be out going to practice, going to a game, going to another activity. And yeah, it it is nice to see us sit down and eat together. I, I totally feel you on that. Yeah. And that's a wonderful segue into that last question there on what's your silver lining. So David, you shared a little bit. Do you have anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, sure. So just as, as I mentioned there, just time spent with family. We are normally so busy juggling work. Both myself and my wife work full time. I'm a coach of a basketball team, which most people would see quite surprising given I'm about five foot seven. But I do coach a basketball team, my daughter's team. And I'm also highly involved in my son's cricket club and, and things like that. So it is nice to have a break and enjoy some time around the house been doing some jobs around the house too which my wife would be very happy with uh so i'm not the best home handyman but those type of jobs are going on because there's nothing else to do and normally al and i'd be playing golf and and going to sporting events and doing those type of things and watching sport on television but there's actually no sport on television either probably from a work perspective just the work and collaboration that's going on we're probably seeing more collaboration going on than prior um, given the implementation of all of our remote technologies. So, and that's kudos to Alan and his team because the amount of technology change we've gone through over the past period of time and 
even just recently. I don't believe we could have done this anywhere near as effectively as we had if they hadn't have done that. From that perspective, it's working really seamlessly. Looking forward, I think for all of our businesses, we're heavily involved in digital solutions. So I can't see less demand for that in the future. I can only see more demand for that. This period might be tough for us as a business and getting through this period, focusing on our people while we're trying to get through this period because it's challenging for everyone. But I think once we're through it, the demand for digital solutions around payment plans, payments, things that we provide are going to be high. What about you, Alan? I think we're, we're really lucky that we've been able to keep everyone's jobs intact. We're in an industry that does a lot of online support. Obviously, we're supporting those sites that are struggling, like the schools and the universities, and we do councils, and they all still require our services. And so even though we're remote, you know, we should be really pleased that we're able to keep all of our employees on full-time salary. There's a lot of people that have just been pushed out of work. Obviously, people in travel have no jobs anymore. People in hospitality, the arts, all those sorts of things, there is nothing for them to do. For us to be able to keep our company going with everyone in full-time salary, that's a major achievement. You know, the silver lining for us at the moment is now to look for those opportunities that will come out of this horrible episode in our lives. And I think that we've got the time to plan that. So there's a bit of time for us to, to look at what we do good, how we can benefit from that in the future. And some of that sounds, you know, very sort of sad for people that don't have a job. But I think for us to be successful, you know, we can start to take more people on as well. There's a little bit of a silver lining for us to look at what our future might look like. We don't know when that will be. Uh, we're talking about six months at the moment where they're saying, you know, we'll, we'll probably finish some lockdowns. It could be longer than that or it could be shorter than that, depending on, you know, what happens in the community. The good thing, as David said, was that we've all got to spend some more time with our families. We haven't had to do all that travelling. I think the future of our work will probably be far less travelling because we've proven we can do that. It's forced a lot of people into rethinking the way they live their lives. And I think that that's going to be a major silver lining for everyone, uh, no matter where you live. Yep, I totally agree with you. Being remote Within the United States, my travel has decreased significantly. I used to go to the office about once a month, and now I haven't been there yet in 2020. So it feels weird to me. But also, I have a sense of security knowing that I don't have to be physically in the office even once a month to get my job done. There's ways that I can still do what I need to do from where I'm located. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think a lot of us have talked about those sort of ways of handling your job and your position in the company and all those sorts of things. But this has got to have given us everyone a compulsory time to prove it. And it'll be interesting to see how we come out of it. You know, David and I are already talking about redesigning our office space because instead of the office being a bunch of desks where people come to work, probably be more like a meeting place to come and just talk to people and then go home and work. You know, that there are <laughs> there are different ways to think about the office space now. Well, David and Alan we just want to say thank you again for being willing to talk to us about what's going on there in Australia and about what's going on in your personal lives as well. We appreciate your perspective. It sounds like you're experiencing some of the, the things that we're experiencing as well. It's good to hear that even though we're in different places, it sounds like we're all kind of unified in that respect. Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for inviting us and uh, showing everyone a different aspect and a different lifestyle. But the major difference is we just have more kangaroos than you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for joining us, both of you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Stay safe. Yeah. Stay well. All right. Well, Rachel, that was a really good conversation we had. 
It was. And huge thanks again to both David and Alan for uh, joining us first thing in the morning, seeing as it's 8 a.m. their time right now as we're finishing our days here. So thanks for being willing to sit down and talk with us, uh, maybe even before their first cup of coffee. (laughs) I think so. I really appreciated their perspective. Even though they're, you know, half a world away, we are still fighting the same battle here. Mm-hmm. And when they mentioned the phrase flattening the curve, that just kind of brought it home for me. Like we are all in this together for sure. Exactly. You know, we hear that talk on the news all the time about flattening the curve. And I'm happy to hear that that seems to be happening for them there in Australia because they're following those regulations that their government has set out for them. So just more encouragement for us here in the United States to continue following those CDC guidelines. Keep washing your hands, stay at home, and we'll get there eventually. Yes. Well, again, and huge thank you to you, David and Alan, for coming on the podcast to talk about what your experience is like there in Australia and what it looks like for schools there as well. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>